The title of my talk is Emptiness, State of Grace. Why emptiness? What does emptiness mean? Empty of what? I'd like to tell you about an experience I had early last year. Following a three-month hiatus in a healing center in tropical South America, I was getting ready to return home, face some hard choices, and resume my life. I had been healing from one of those life events when things fall apart. One afternoon, I went into my little cabin to catch up with my laundry. As I reached for the garments in the basket, I felt a resistance. There was sort of gook that looked almost like chewing gum stuck between two garments. I struggled to pull them apart, then finally looked carefully between the creases and pulled back. There was a large caterpillar, about two inches long, with green and brown hairs on its back that looked like pine trees. I knew those caterpillars burnt your skin, so I ran outside and struggled to prod it from my garment with a stick. I was actually angry at the caterpillar. Only after I was inside the cabin and I had a flash of realization. The caterpillar had been constructing its chrysalis, a miraculous thing to be able to witness. The white gum was actually filaments it had chewed and spit out to construct a safe home for its transformation. Then it dawned on me that this was a synchronistic sign for me. It was as if I was hearing a message from a sage. I was awed by the realization that I was probably not going to be able to go back home quickly and easily resume my life. I would instead probably have to go into my own kind of chrysalis and be patient till I was thoroughly ready. And so the presage came to be true. I needed more time to heal before I could complete my own transformation. Where does this kind of thought come from? As I sat to write this talk, I encountered great resistance. The blank page had never seemed so blank. It had never been so empty. Empty of words, empty of content. We are inherently afraid of emptiness. Whether we call it emptiness, nothingness, the void, the blank page, or even silence. We see emptiness as a big hole where we would desperately be lost and alone. When I say to my friends and family that I am giving a talk on the subject of emptiness, I either get a blank stare or resistance. Why emptiness? Why don't you find a lighter, friendlier subject? Yet for me, there is no lighter, friendlier subject. Emptiness is in itself bliss, the bliss of our true nature. 
we finally find there what we are made of, where we come from, and where we go for serenity, peace, and the everlasting present as it is liberated from the comings and goings of the mind and the world. Listen to this beautiful poem by Rumi. Why are you so afraid of silence? Silence is the root of everything. If you spiral into its void, a hundred voices will thunder messages you long to hear. When I first read the Heart Sutra here in this hall, I became wholly intrigued by the phrase, emptiness is form, form is emptiness. Of course, it was a contradiction, but it hit my heart as truth right from the start. That is what truth feels like. It is usually something we can't put into words, but that goes straight to the heart. The Heart Sutra stayed in my mind and I found myself pondering it over and over again. That was the beginning of my search for the nature of emptiness. Emptiness is form, form is emptiness. I understand, not of course with my intellect, but through a series of experiences that I would like to share with you. On Memorial Day weekend 2014, I attended a retreat here at Wan Dharma Center. After evening meditation, Reverend Del Song Yu gave a Dharma talk and spoke about what to me had become the focus of the retreat, the emptiness of body and mind, that entity we call I. I listened intently while, curiously, the air in the meditation hall slowly became rarefied. And as I watched Reverend Yu give a surprisingly simple explanation on the subject, he seemed to begin to vanish in front of my eyes till I was seeing what was behind him and not his body, though I could still hear his voice. Then, I had the sensation that my body was disappearing too. It was an all-encompassing experience, as if I was seeing everything from a wide, detached, and weightless point of view with absolute certainty. Coming back to the real world of form was, of course, the opposite unsettling and confusing. I went to my room and cried, because without this eye of mine, how was I going to be able to mediate with the world? I left the retreat early, but my heart was hooked on the sutras. Nowadays, Reverend Yu, who is my mentor, tells me that form is emptiness, emptiness is form, is my life koan, the riddle that during meditation delivers understanding and guides my practice. Earlier on, before he knew of my quest for emptiness, 
Reverend Yu had given me the koan, what am I? I went home after meeting with him, and that night, during meditation, I changed it to, who am I? Because it felt more comfortable. The next time I met with him, I told him of my experience, and he looked straight into my eyes and said, there is no who. He actually said that to me. It clicked. Yes, of course. That is what we really are. We are that empty space where there's nothing, but there's also everything. That primordial space of grace and of both perfect contentment and pure potentiality. That is, that is the course of all creation. Therefore, the Buddhist maxim, the mind creates everything. Behind me in this hall is the Ilwan Sang, the one circle image. It is a circle, perfectly empty inside. Sotasan, the founding master of one Buddhism, was asked repeatedly why in one Buddhist temples, instead of the image of the Buddha, Ilwan Sang was enshrined. He explained, while the Buddha image, while a Buddha image manifests the physical form of the Buddha, Ilwan Sang manifests the mind essence of the Buddha. The physical form represents only his human form, but the mind essence is vast and infinite, combining being and non-being, and sustaining itself through the three periods, time periods of past, present, and future. Our Ilwon Sang vow, which we chant every day, begins like this. Ilwon Sang is the realm of Samadhi, beyond all words and speech. In the Diamond Sutra, Subhuti, one of the Buddha's main disciples, asks him what a good person must do to reach enlightenment. The Buddha answers that good persons master their thinking by leading how many, however many species of beings there are, to be liberated. Then he says what I believe to be the essence of the teaching, which I would like to read to you. And when all this immeasurable, innumerable, infinite number of beings has been liberated, we do not, in truth, think that a single being has been liberated. I found this not just very intriguing, but also filled with a great cosmic humor. But listen to what the Buddha says in the next short paragraph. Why is this so? If Subhuti, a bodhisattva, holds on to the idea that a self, a person, a living being, 
or a lifespan exists, that person is not an authentic bodhisattva. Wait, is the Buddha saying that a self, a person, a living being, or a lifespan do not exist? He is. Why? Because they are empty. Empty of what? Empty of permanence. That is, all things and all beings are impermanent because they depend on other things to come into existence and will one day cease to exist. Water evaporates from the oceans, condenses into clouds that fall as rain, and waters the crops that feed us. We all depend on everything else. What we see in our normal, everyday lives, or better yet, how we see, is misleading. Because of our attachment to what, we, to what and who we love, we, we don't like impermanence, so we veil the truth. We think of form, of mind objects, of impressions and feelings, as if they are the hard truth. But let's take a look at where they come from. In the beginning, there was the Word. It is a gospel by John, a reference to Genesis. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Everything is created by the Word. Without the Word, there is no reality. Reality, that is, consciousness, is language. And language is not our primary essence, but a creation of our minds. What does the Buddha tell us about words? Most of the Diamond Sutra is a discourse on what the Buddha calls deception. Why? Because in this, our so-called reality, in order for us to communicate with each other, we need symbols, signifiers, which are what words are. Words stand in for what the true nature of things is. And by, by the very act of standing in for truth, signifiers or words are limiting. They are only a representation of the truth and therefore incomplete. Following is one of my favorite passages where the Buddha calls himself the Tathagata, which means something along the lines of reality such as it is. The Buddha said to Subhuti, in a place where there is something that can be distinguished by signs, in that place there is deception. If you can see the signless nat nature of signs, then you can see the Tathagata. From what I can see, what the Buddha is doing 
is stretching our minds beyond their usual boundaries. The reading and studying of this sutra is actually a workout for our mind's muscles to stretch them into expansions previously unknown to us so that we can begin to glimpse the truth of what we are. The true reality of our minds which is veiled to us while we remain in the realm of language, the realm of our consciousness. So how do we put this to use in our daily lives? Sotesan's teachings are most effective because of his emphasis on practice. We meditate, we observe, we study, we inquire so that we can make sound choices in action. That is the aim of the practice. We do what we call mind practice. We observe not just our thoughts, but also our emotions, which often disturb our quiet minds. We connect to sound thought, another term for ill-worn or original mind, which is always clear, alert, and calm. How do we connect to sound thought? We are mindful of what's around us. We study the circumstances of the issue. We search the teachings for inspiration. And then, if it still has not become clear, we let go, trusting that the way will come to us. In my story about the caterpillar, I had the realization that the gook was a chrysalis and that somehow it was mirroring my own transformation process. Let's recall that I felt angry at the caterpillar. When the present became true, in the same manner, I became angry at myself. I did not, it did not fit my idea of progress to be set back again to build my chrysalis. I was impatient for action, for building my new life, for friends and colleagues and my own things around me. Eventually, I accepted my situation and checked my mind. I let the gap of emptiness open and I trusted that it would give me the answer. It did. And it didn't come from me. It came from the miraculous universe, which is always there, ready to give us what we need in the most unexpected ways, because it is all-knowing, all-powerful, and it is pure wisdom. I heard some beautiful words from a friend just a few days ago. She said that when we experience, even for a moment, the bliss of emptiness, it's like we have tasted a little bit of nectar. And that experience will always be there for us because we know it. Thank you.